Hi, and welcome to Resurrection Church, where Dr. Joseph G. Matera is the senior pastor and presiding bishop. We are committed to serving our community and the community abroad. We pray that the word you are about to hear will be a blessing to your life and that you allow the Holy Spirit to open your heart and receive what the Lord is speaking to you. Good to be here. Good to see everyone. It's good to be alive. It's good to be alive in Christ. No matter what's going on, we always have an anchor to our life, to our soul in Christ. It doesn't matter what storms are going on around us. We are safe and secure in the Lord, and that's the best place to be. So, um, Father, we pray for your anointing on this word, on this time, that you would speak to us, that your Holy Spirit would minister to each heart what it is you want to say, and to us collectively what you want to say in Jesus' name. Amen. And uh, just to remind you, our solemn assembly, we have prayer shifts every two hours, starting today, going straight through to Tuesday night. If you've never been a part of it, you want to be a part of it. And uh, Tuesday night, we all gather here at the end for a, a service. Uh, we pray together as a body. This is very important. Um, and we end it with communion, and then we go and we break our fast. If you've never fasted before, this is a good time to start and to learn um, and to know that fasting does not make you right with God. Jesus did. But fasting will bring you closer to God. It removes the static. Uh, you know, and, and those of you that are my age may remember when we had radios and we were trying to tune into a, a station. And as you're trying to adjust the channel to that station, you hear static before and static after till you get it clear. So when you fast, it helps to remove all that static and you can just tune into God. And, and so I encourage you to do it. I encourage you to make it a way of life. Jesus said, when you pray, when you fast, and when you give. He didn't say, if you pray, if you fast, and if you give, because he was assuming that it was being done. So there, that was my mini pre-sermon. Uh, because this is the time. Let's do it now. So we are finishing up the book of Colossians today. And you can follow all the messages. It's, you, you really want to get the whole picture of Colossians. Uh, most of the messages on Facebook, I mean on um, our online service uh, that you get have been shared by Pastor Mike. And then some of the ones that have been shared by myself and by Bishop are actually on the SoundCloud. So you can get multiple perspectives on that book. Um, so we encourage you to listen to all of the messages. We, uh, you can follow Bishop's message, not only on SoundCloud, but I think his last message was actually, uh, is on his YouTube channel. And if you haven't subscribed, I encourage you to subscribe to, uh, Bishop's YouTube channel, just Joseph Matera on YouTube. So anyway, while we're finishing up this book, um, while we're studying this chapter, in some of the previous chapters, I've identified three attributes that I want to talk about today. One is authentic prayer. The next is authentic commitment. And the last is authentic mission, those three attributes. So uh, before I start into chapter four, I just want to review from previous chapters some of these attributes. Regarding prayer, Paul starts off the letter in chapter one, and he says, we have heard of a, your faith in Christ Jesus, and B, of the love you have for all God's people. We can put the scripture up. It's chapter 1, 
um, I think verse one or two. See, the, uh, we have heard of the gospel is bearing fruit and growing among you since the day you heard it. All good. This is all good stuff, right? So, I mean, there's no persecution, no crisis, uh, no sickness, no um, immorality, no inordinate sin, no, no person sleeping with his father's wife like he had to deal with in Corinthians. Um, so everything is, is good. And, and for this reason, he says, we have not stopped praying for you. So we're accustomed to praying when things are going bad, when things are awry, when something's wrong. You always call us, got to pray. You know, of course we pray. But Paul is more intensely praying now when things are going well. So we will understand something about prayer here. Paul felt urged to pray when all was good. And let's look at why. So he goes on in this, in the, the first chapter, in this verse, he says, we're, we're, um, we have not stopped praying for you, A, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. B, that you will bear fruit in every good work. C, that you will grow in the knowledge of God. And D, that you'll be strengthened with God's power. So you see, uh, coming to Christ is just a starting point. And Paul understood that his job, his role, his assignment was not just to bring people to Christ, but to make sure that they grow. And we're going to that, see that much later again in chapter 4 as I go on. That they grow, that they mature in Christ, that they continue on, that they make it till the end. So the prayer was for that. And even Jesus, when he uh, calls us and, and calls us to do his work, he calls us to bring people to Christ, to share the gospel. But the, not just to share the gospel, but to solidify the church and to strengthen people in their walk with God that they would grow. So, and regarding genuine commitment in, in this first chapter, Paul continued and he said, now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you. Okay, so he's saying, I'm rejoicing in what I'm suffering because what he was suffering was for their behalf. That's a genuine commitment that goes beyond comfort and convenience, and it's for the sake of the mission. Um, so Paul is actually in prison for preaching the gospel to them. And regarding authentic mission, proclaiming the message of the gospel, Paul said, I have become its servant, servant to this proclamation of the gospel or, um, by commission or mission. God gave me to present, God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. And as a result of that, that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. So here we see that again. It's not just presenting the gospel to them, um, but when all is said and done, presenting them before God, mature in Christ. So when they stand before God, Paul can have done and finished his assignment. So we're going to carry on these three defining points as we go into chapter four, authentic prayer, authentic commitment, and authentic mission. And uh, we're going to concentrate mostly on verses two to six as we reiterate those three points. Uh, uh, verses four to seven, um, four to the end is mostly, um, not four to seven, but seven to the end is mostly greetings. And so we're going to start with verse two in chapter four. Paul says, devote yourself to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. So Paul starts off saying, devote yourselves to prayer. We are urged not just to pray, but to be devoted to prayer. So what is the definition of devoted? I looked it up. 
to give all or a large part of one's time or resources to. So we are talking about a lot of time given to prayer. We're talking about major time given to prayer, not just a little pittance of prayer when we wake up, when we go to bed, or when we come to church. It's so much more than that. So we're talking about major time of prayer. God wants us, and that's how he's talking to the church at large. He's not talking to those that are um, in full-time ministry. He's talking to everyone. And he said, be devoted to prayer. That means every chance we can. That means committing time, committing portions of our time to prayer. That doesn't mean just praying a few prayers in your head, but putting aside time, putting aside places to go in solitude. Jesus constantly went to solitude places to pray. He got up early to go and pray. Sometimes he stayed up all night and prayed. And so when I first became a Christian and was learning about prayer, I was encouraged by many things I read um, to try to give at least an hour to prayer a day. And some people might think, what? You know, but how much time do we give to social media? How much time do we give to watching TV? How much time do we give um, to, to all kinds of other things? So make that a goal. See if you can get yourself up to an hour of prayer. See if you can get up early to pray. It's the best thing you can do. When I was working in the city, um, not long after I got out of school, there was a huge difference in my day when I started getting up and a little earlier and praying first. It was a huge difference I saw in my day. So if you're not doing that, I encourage you to. And then there's times you just need to put extra time aside to pray. Um, take time on your weekends. Take time when you have available. Take time at night. Whatever time you can find, try to set some regular time and then, you know, other times. And so... Our, our time of prayer, we're not just talking about personal prayer needs, and we're not just talking about prayer on a personal level, which we do need, our time alone, but we also need to have prayer on a communal level. And so it's important that we pray together, and we have so many ways we can do that, um, besides when we come to church, and we're going to get to do that a lot in the next few days. But we can pray together when we're in our small groups. And that's so important. There's something different that happens when you pray together with others. And there's sometimes I'm, I feel like I'm just not breaking through. And the second I start praying with someone else, whether it's my husband, whether it's my kids or friends, all of a sudden I feel like there is strength added to that prayer. And Jesus himself said, when two or three agree on anything, touching anything, it'll be done. So he also uh, push that time of praying together. So prayer is how we stay connected to God. It's the Christian's lifeline to the Lord, without which it is impossible to live in the reality of his existence and love. It's how we know God. It's how we sense God. It's how we feel his presence and his love. It's how his spirit um, um, intuits God for us and connects us to him. So we need prayer. That's, that's our connection. Just as Jesus said, if the branch is broken off the vine, it dies. So prayer is how we stay connected to God, and it's so important we do that. Prayer is also how we are able to trust God and hear from him. Philippians 4 tells us not to be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So we learn to bring everything before him in prayer decisions and direction in our life. We don't want to be confident in our own eyes. So through prayer, 
We are admitting our dependency on the Father. Through prayer, we call out to him to work in our lives. Through prayer, we express a living trust that he will answer our call and supply our needs. And without prayer, as a focal part of our day, we are exhibiting our independence from him and demonstrating a self-sufficient attitude that dishonors his name. So um, it, uh, it also says in the scriptures that we need to, um, to not be wise in our own eyes but to in all our ways acknowledge him, that he would direct our paths. So he can't direct our paths if we're not acknowledging him in those ways. And 1 Peter 5, 7, I love it, says, casting all your cares and anxieties upon him because he cares for you. So we want to have this connection with God because it alleviates anxiety and he cares about us. So that means decisions that he will guide us in will be decisions that will help us. So then he says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful. Watchfulness is used often in prayer. Intercessors are called watchmen on the wall. And I love this because in prayer, we get a heads up from God before things happen. We are able to pray more effectively because of that. And sometimes we are actually thwarting off things that were otherwise going to happen because when we were in that place of prayer, God will warn us. God will alert us. God will let us see. When you think of watchfulness in prayer and the watchmen on the wall, they were those that stood on the walls of the city and looked. And they would see when the armies were coming from afar before they were at their doors, banging them down and invading them. So in the same way, when we are watchful in prayer, we are seeing things from afar far. We are seeing things that are going to happen. We are seeing attacks of the enemy that he's trying to bring on us or our loved ones or others, and we are able to thwart it in prayer. You know, and I've seen this so many times. My, one of my favorite stories is a time that before, before cell phones, guys, I'm, I'm, you know, before cell phones, some of you don't get it. There was life before cell phones. And so I was with my older kids who were young then, and we went to a water park and I left, and, and Bishop was with uh, dear friend um, Lenny. We called him Uncle Lenny. He lived with us uh, before he started his powerful ministry. And they were praying because praying was just a part of what they did. Um, and as they were praying, uh, God, God just put something in their spirit, and, and, and they became aware that something was going to go awry that day. And they continued to pray, and God showed them that Jason was going to get lost in uh, the water park we were at. So they, and, and God actually specifically showed my husband that if they continued to pray, that it would be very short-lived and non-dramatic, but they needed to pray so it would not be a long, drawn-out, traumatic deal. And those of you that are parents can understand that. Um, so what happened is, there's no cell phones. He can't call me and say, hey, twice, you know. Uh, God just spoke this to me. So I'm out there in the water park, and lo and behold, it was, it was just one of those super crowded days, like last weekend at Great Adventure. Um, and so, you know, we're there, and, and, and I was with my friend, and we had several of our kids with us. Um, and, and I thought Jason was right next to me, and all of a sudden I realized he wasn't, and I thought he was with my friend, and then I realized he wasn't. And, of course, if you're a parent, you understand the panic that sets in your heart that's indescribable. And so immediately I'm like, you know, Jason, Jason. And, and, and there's so many people that I can't see, and I'm not tall to begin with anywhere. So 
within seconds, literally, but those seconds felt like a lifetime. But within seconds, there was far off. I don't even know how he heard some guy just lifted him up. And there he was and connected us immediately. And so what I'm saying is when we pray, when we're in a place of prayer and watchfulness, watchfulness just means that we're ready, whatever God wants to tell us, whatever he may want to show us. And so we need to be in that place all the time as we pray on our own, but we need to as a church be in that place. There's been times we've been in our corporate prayer meetings and God would not let us leave because there was something happening. One time we were here years ago for an election. And it was one of those really unusual elections. We've had so many more of them since then. Um, but this was probably the first unusual one where they did not know who won. And so they did not know who won till way after midnight. And we're in church and we didn't know that. We weren't watching the news. But the Holy Spirit would not let us leave. And everybody knew it. And we stayed there until a little after midnight and prayed. And, um, and we believed that God had just called us to pray through what he was wanting to do. So watchfulness is very important in our prayers. First Peter 5.8 says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, roams around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So there, in that watchfulness and prayer, we offset many attacks of the enemy in our lives and in other lives. Also, being watchful in prayer keeps us from getting sloppy and comfortable in this life so that we are taken off God as to what God is going to do. Matthew 24, verse 37 through 39 says, For as were the days of Noah, so will the days of the coming of the Son of Man be. For in those days before the flood, they were eating, drinking, marrying, giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So we need to be watchful in prayer so we're aware of what's going to happen and that we're ready and that we're prepared and that we're hearing from God. Amen. So he says, uh, going on from watchfulness, he said, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. So as we pray, our hearts are always guarded and protected through thankfulness. It's just something we need always. First Thessalonians 5, verse 16 says, rejoice all the time. Pray constantly and give thanks in all circumstances because that's God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So we always need to have everything coupled with thankfulness that guards our hearts. So now Paul goes on in verse 3 after he's saying, you know, to be devoted to prayer. He's in watchfulness and thankfulness. Then he says, and pray for us too. So he's not saying don't pray for yourselves. He's not saying don't pray to stay close to God. But he is saying, as you are praying, pray for us also. As you are devoting yourselves to prayer, pray, pray for us too. So we need to include in our prayers praying for others, and especially for those that are giving themselves to the work of the Lord on all levels. Intercession is the highest form of prayer, and God honors that above all. And intercession is praying when you're standing in the gap between God and others. And we especially need to stand in the gap between God um, and, and those that are serving him and stand in the gap in spiritual warfare between the devil and those that are serving God because they have the biggest targets on them. So his prayer request to the Colossians showed a humble spirit 
and identifies the ever-present need to keep praying for pastors, for teachers and ministers of the gospel, both here at home and abroad. We should remember that praying for ministries and ministers is a great privilege. Our prayers of faith give traction to the faithful work that they're doing for the glory of God and, and, and for the salvation of many. And also those that pray have a part in the rewards of those that we're praying for. So um, I, I remember there was a time in my life where I just felt disqualified from serving God. And, um, but I knew how to pray, and I had just I had learned as a young Christian um, how to pray, and that, uh, that made a solid foundation for me. And at this point in my life where I felt disqualified, I said, you know, I could still pray. I could you know, I'm not disqualified from praying. And I actually felt like if I did nothing else but just pray and intercede and pray for others, that I could do great things in that place, that so much could happen, that I'd still be able to stand before God with great rewards. So praying is partnering with the work, especially others that are out there in the trenches. So we need to pray for those in ministry, doing the work of God for our pastors, for those that teach and preach, for those that manage the affairs of the church. And as we continue to read this scripture, Paul's going on. So he's saying, be devoted to pray, and while you're at it, please pray for me. And then he says, why? He says, pray for us too, that God will open up to us a door for the word, so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ, for which I have also been imprisoned. That, so that God may open this door for our message, that we may, pro may proclaim it clearly as we should. So Paul is urging them, as they live a life of prayer, not only to pray to maintain the connection with God, not only to pray for their needs uh, before the Father, which is good, not only to pray for those that are serving God in the ministry, but pray towards the goal of the mission. So he's, he's showing them and telling them why he needs them to pray. He's not asking them to, to pray for him to get out of prison. He never once asked them, pray that I get out of jail. That would be my first prayer. <laughs> but his concern was for the spread of the gospel. And if jail could serve that purpose better than jail it is. How many of us could say that? So we need to pray for what it is that God wants to do on this earth. We need to pray for what God is wanting to do here in our church, in our city, in our nation, and for those that are out on the mission field, we need to pray for those that are putting their lives at risk and sacrificing for the sake of bringing the gospel of the kingdom to places God is sending them. You know, it's pretty easy here, um, but there are places in the world that people are getting killed and are risking getting killed um, in order to preach the gospel. We need to pray for Bishop. He's returning today from Lebanon, been flying through the night. You know, God opened a door in Lebanon to send us there, and we weren't sure why, but when we got there, we realized it is the only nation in the Middle East that you're allowed to openly preach the gospel. You can't even do that in Israel. And so God was beginning to open up doors, and, and now we're, beginning, we're being asked to other um, Middle Eastern nations to go and speak, and God is doing amazing work. So you need to be praying for him. You need to be praying for us as God is opening these doors. We need to be willing as we release him. There are people that have complained, and not even in this church. There are people, in, if there were someone in the Sand Island campus complaining, I'm like, I don't know why, because, you know, oh, Bishop is never there for us. Really, was telling people all over, 
Oh, he's never there for us. What kind of pastor is he? First of all, he's an overseeing bishop and there's other pastors here. But we release him to do the things that God has called him to do that not many people can do. And I remember when we first got married and went to the Soviet Union, now it's Russia and all those nations, but then it was under communism, strict communism. And I remember when we were there and we were very, um, uh, very comprehensively trained for this trip. And as long as we did everything they told us, we did well. Um, but I remember, you know, there were times we were witnessing and then we would be chased by KGB offices. We would be hounded down by school kids that... Uh, we're hoping to report us, um, you know, all these things. And, you know, when you're only like 21, 23 years old, it's kind of like fun. So, um, you know, was, and we were always, you listen, you grow up on the streets of Brooklyn, nothing scares you. I go places. When I was in Lebanon, they're like, you know, be careful, be careful, this and that. And I'm like, I'm a Brooklyn girl. <laughs> so, but... I remember when it was so difficult and we had to so carefully uh, craft how we were able to minister when and where and who was going to get called. One person we led to the Lord disappeared. We found out they, they, they had sent him to Siberia, you know. Um, so I'm like, wow. But when, when we came back, I'm like, wow, I can go anywhere and talk to anyone and, and, and share the gospel. You know, we don't realize the freedom we have. Let's use it. Sometimes we need to understand what it's like not to have freedom so that we can use our freedom. So let's use our freedom for the sake of the gospel. But God was using Paul in prison to do things that were beyond just continuing to preach the gospel, but to write the letters that would strengthen the church. So we need to understand what he's saying here. He said, pray so that we may speak the mystery of Christ. And he's asking for boldness and wisdom, that God may open a door for our message. So he's asking, you know, them to pray that God will continue to open up doors and make a way for them to preach, that they may, may proclaim the mystery of Christ. The mystery of Christ. What is the mystery of Christ? It is the pure gospel message. And the reason why it was called a mystery is that it had been hidden from all the previous generations throughout the Old Testament. It was hidden from the prophets who were prophesying about it. They didn't understand it, but they were speaking of it. It was the message of the cross, the fulfillment of the law, of salvation and justification found in Jesus Christ alone. It was, it was what was being pictured through all the Old Testament animal sacrifices, but now the real deal was brought to life, the unblemished Lamb of God sacrificed once and for all for the sins of the world. That is the mystery of Christ. Not as much a mystery to us now, because but then it was. And, and, and part of that mystery was also that the entire world, not just the Jews, were being given the same inheritance in the kingdom of God through Christ. You know, many Christians in our nation have lost sight of this message. Our prayers often become more nationalistic focused than kingdom of God focused. And you know, I shared about this much in the, when, we, when we began this book in chapter one. But let's pray that no matter what situations we find ourselves in, whether it's hard times or good times, whether we're paying $10 for gas or $2 for gas, that the message of the gospel is exploding. Now, I don't mind praying that the gas prices come down. 
However, like Paul, like, you know what, God, if you can work in a way with the gas prices skyrocketing, then do it. How many of us will say that are our hearts in that same place where Paul was willing to be in prison because that's where God wanted him and that's where the message and what God had him to do was going to happen best. So that takes us into the next uh, point is authentic commitment. A commitment that goes beyond just personal convenience and comfort that's not based on personal gain. So he said, and pray for us that we may, pray, we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Some of us wind up in prison, but it's not because we were preaching the gospel. I got, I got taken home by the cops too many times. I thought my dad was going to kill me. Um, and he was the gentlest man on the face of the earth. But thank God I didn't wind up in prison or do any jail time. And now half the stuff I was doing is probably legal anyway. <laughs> Should have kept my business going. <laughs> so Paul's request was not for his own safety to escape from prison, but that the gospel could reach more people. This is what we live for. This is what we sacrifice for. This is what many died for. This is something that's being lost in much of the American church message of self-centeredness, self-preservation, self-focus, self-indulgence, self-actualization. What is good for me, therefore eliminating anything that may not be benefiting me personally in some way. Now, it's not, don't get me wrong, it's not that we should not try to provide for ourselves certain conveniences and comforts. I like conveniences and comforts. I like that I have a dishwasher. I had most of my years I didn't, and growing up, we didn't have a dishwasher. Because, you know, it can make life a little faster and make things move a little uh, faster. I like that I have a washing machine. I like that I can wash my clothes in my house. But you, you understand, it, it's really not about the convenience. It's about where is our heart? Where is our focus? Um, what is it that's the end of all? Because if I'm sitting in a laundromat, I may be witnessing to some people and leading them to Christ. And then thank God I didn't have a washing machine. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's about what is the end all? Because if it's just about our comfort and our ease and us being happy, then we have missed the mark big time. But it is if it's to provide the best scenario to aid us in our assignment, to aid us in sharing the gospel and doing the work of God and being about our Father's business, then we will be able to discern when to be comfortable, when to be uncomfortable, and we'll be okay with both. Even Paul said in Philippians 4, I've learned to be content Whatever the circumstances, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And, and the secret he found was it, was it was keeping our eyes on the mission. And most of the things that, you know, as, as I go on in life, I remember when I wanted a house, I knew that I needed that house in order to serve God to the full effect. And trust me, God made sure I did. And I had so many people live with us in that house that I could never have had in an apartment. And that was what God wanted us to do. Amen. And so uh, it's not just about what we want, but it's about God, whatever it is I have, it's for you to use. It's for you to use. It's to aid me 
if it needs, if I need to be more comfortable and convenience, it's to aid me and make things convenient so I can do your work. Okay, so whether it's buying a house, taking vacation, pursuing a job, you know, I go on vacation um, because I, I need to rest myself. I go out to eat sometimes because I need to refresh myself. I stay healthy because I want to be at my best to complete what God has given me. So it's not just, uh, and believe me, I, I've rubbed shoulders with so many in the health world and in extreme health, and some of what we do goes to extreme health, but we do it for a reason. These people, you wouldn't believe some of these people actually think somehow they're going to manage to live forever. And I've read it in their books. Um, you know, some of these people, uh, I, I love this story. This one, he was really a fanatic and was in all these different jungles in South America, finding all these special herbs, um, you know, just to help our bodies. And it's so good to live healthy and help our bodies. But um, they, they were in pursuing God. And, you know, we're just doing it to preserve this flesh that's going to die anyway for as long as they could. Now, I want to preserve this for as long as I could and make it strong and healthy and sharp so that my years I can serve God more and be there for my family. But they were just doing it to preserve. And so they're in one of those jungles. Twice this happened to them. That a plane flew over them and dumped pesticides all over them. I'm like, that's what you get for not acknowledging your creator. And so you see, whatever we try to do outside of God, you know, and, and glorify whether it's our bodies or glorify anything, glorify making money, glorify anything in this life. No, we have to glorify God. Everything else is subservient. Okay, so church is to keep ourselves focused while we do life. Seeking the kingdom of God, learning how to live on this earth as we simultaneously are securing people into heaven. Taking care of everyday business as we are about our father's business. So our, our trajectory in life is not living out my best life. How easily life distracts us from our mission. How easily life distracts us. You know, whether it's, it, it's getting married, it's having children, it's following a pursuit, it's in an education. I've seen so many of my friends in their, their college and master's degree fall away from God because they had to spend so much time studying that they never got back into the routine of seeking God, of serving God, and their careers became their God. And so it's not that God doesn't want you to have that career, but everything needs to be subservient and how easily life distracts us from our mission. And it doesn't mean you shouldn't have a, a, a busy career, but we need to always keep that mission. What is that? In Matthew 28, 18 to 20, Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to do everything I have commanded you even to the end of the age. And he also told his disciples, go out, preach the gospel, heal the sick, deliver those that are oppressed. This is our mission. And we are all called in one way or another to this mission. We all have unique assignments within this mission, but we need to understand we are a mission. So when we're in church together, it's not just about doing life together in church, but it's about encouraging each other and galvanizing together in mission. You see, I can find friends and do life with people anywhere. Whether it's my family, it's a lot of nice people out there that aren't necessarily in church. 
Everybody that's not in church, in fact, some of them may be nicer than the people that are in church. And I can find any of those people and just, you know, have a support system. And so church is a support system, and we are family together, but it's beyond that. If that's all it is, we are missing it. We are galvanizing together for mission. And the more we understand that, the more effective, the more powerful, the more close to the heart of God we will be. So in um, chapter 3, Paul talks about keeping our minds set on the things above, not being distracted by the things in this life that dominate our hearts and minds. And um, because ultimately, this world is not my home. Why am I not? Why does nothing worry me? Because ultimately, this world is not my home. Why am I not afraid of sickness and death? Because ultimately, this world is not my home. Why am I not afraid of what will happen in the economy and in the nation? Because ultimately, this world is not my home. And my main goal, whether things are going well or things are not going well, is the mission. So I am here focused for mo- first and foremost on the mission of Christ, on my assignment within that mission um, of, of galvanizing together with the church and the body of Christ. And yes, I want to have a certain amount of ease so I could serve God better. And I want to see people do well, but I more than that want to see them secured for eternity. Both are important, but one has way greater weight than the other. So with all that in mind, Paul goes on in verses 5 and 6 to encourage them about watching out for their actions and communications in life. Because, uh, again, uh, you know, we are lights to the world. So he says, be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation or way of life be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. So... When we are focused on, on bringing people to Christ, then it will affect how we live our lives before them and how we seize opportunities when we're with them. Some of us get into uh, hatred battles with people um, because we're not understanding the main mission. Sometimes we, we miss it so many times. Um, and I'll never forget that our very first apartment it was interesting. The, the bathroom sink was outside of the bathroom in the kitchen. Um, not the kitchen sink, but for some reason it was outside. So it was an interesting apartment that God got for us in Sunset Park because that's where he had called us to be. And we knew that when we were praying what God wanted for our lives after we got married, after the mission trip, and he showed us that he sent us into this community. Thank God. How many are happy he sent us into this community? It was a rough community back then. My husband would dodge bullets. He had to run into buildings to dodge bullets. Maritza Robert, tell me, is that not true? Where are you? Right? One of, one of our cars was parked on your block all the way back then. It had bullet holes in it when we got out. Let me tell you something. Their block has more people that gave their life to Christ because of them staying there and being a witness and a light. And we prayed and we've seen such transformation without gentrification in this community. And we share that everywhere we go. But that's where God sent us. That's you see why I wasn't afraid anywhere else. <laughs> I mean, one time I was just a kid. And, and some, some people from, uh, and I was 
I grew up in a different neighborhood, not in Sunset Park. I grew up in Dyker Heights, and I was riding my bike. And you don't understand, we were really poor. So it wasn't the best of bikes, but it was the only bike I had or would ever have um, at that point. And so this group of kids come up, and they put a knife to my neck and say, give me your bike. And I just, you know, all I thought about is I'm not going home without my bike. <laughs> and, I, and I said, I can't. I need to bring my bike home. And, and, they, and they kept on doing it. One's pulling my hair back, and one has a knife. I don't know why. I wasn't afraid. I wasn't. Honestly, I wasn't afraid. I had two friends, and you know I'm, I'm petite. I had two friends. They were like Goliathes. They were both of them. They ran and, and hid behind somewhere. I'm like, gee, thanks, guys. <laughs> but you know what? They looked at each other, um, this, and they just thought, this girl's crazy. Let's just go on. Maybe they didn't know if I was packing or something. You know, why is she like this? So I, I'm just telling you, you know, you, you, know you, you grew up in the streets of Brooklyn, especially back then. And we have to pray that it doesn't go back to that. Um, but, you know, when, when we're focused on bringing people to Christ, it affects how we live our lives, how we look for every opportunity. Um, I had this uh, in our first apartment. See, I got distracted. In our first apartment, I was telling you, we had some crazy lady live. Um, she lived below us. We were on the top floor. And every time we just moved a chair or did anything, um, she would stop banging, screaming and cursing out the window. Uh, one time, there was a mosquito on the wall in the middle of the night. My husband... My husband was trying to kill it like this. So we almost had a divorce right then and there. Like, you don't cup your hand and kill a mosquito. So, so finally he got the mosquito. And then she was just so mad. She was just, we would pass her doorway and she'd be slamming it, screaming, all this stuff. So I said, I just thought of the scriptures. I said, the Bible says, you know, to do good to those that are, despite for whatever. So I, I, I baked something and brought it to her. She became like our best friend. She helped me furnish my apartment. She came to our Bible studies and gave her life to the Lord. See, when we realize what we're representing here, when we realize who we're representing here and what for, then we think about things. Then we think about things, and I've not always done it right. I've been impatient in stores. I remember once I was so impatient on a line because the cashier was just having a little chit-chat with the person that was in front of me, and I was just giving her that evil stare, <laughs> which means, you know, I'm waiting here. You better hurry up. And then I thought, what if this person ever walks into church? <laughs> or especially when I'm driving, you guys know. And so when we think about everything we do and think about our mission and think about how are we living our lives and how uh, may this help or hurt our testimony of Christ. And I'm not saying we have to be perfect because part of our testimony is telling people, hey, I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. That's why we all need Jesus. So I'm not saying that there has to be a level of perfection. What I am saying is that we have to think. We have to think before we get into fights and wars with people, especially these past years, there's been political wars. We have to think before we're, we're shunning certain ethnic groups or being harsh, not realizing that there are people that 
God wants to bring to himself through us. So let's look for opportunity, not only how we conduct ourselves, but where is every chance that we can do something, say something um, that will help make a connection that will possibly bring someone to Christ. I will make friends with people, not because I'm not a friendly person, I'm a shy person, I don't make friends with strangers. So it takes me a long time to make a friend, but I've, I've gone out of my way to make friends with people for the sake of the gospel. I want to make friends with them so at some point I can lead them to Christ. So in closing, you know, in chapter 2, Paul said, when you were dead in your sins, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, canceled the charge of legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. This is the gospel. This is the gospel. I love sharing it. I love sharing it to Catholics. Because brought, I'm brought up Catholic, and I, you know, I understand how they think. I love sharing. I've led so many to Christ, including my entire family. Paul also debunks all the ways that we try to be right with God through our own actions, which creates false humility, self-righteousness, legalism, and keeps us separated from Christ. So if, what we need to know first is we're right with Christ, and how can we bring others to understand this gospel? And I just want to share quickly before I... Uh, conclude is there if there's anyone here that you have never really secured this salvation you've never really understood it you've never really experienced Christ coming in your life you've never really had that experience where you knew the second you die you're going to be with God free clear clean, pure, nothing held against you. See, this is what he's saying, but you experience it when you get saved. So I want to ask everyone to bow their heads a minute. And, and if anyone is here and you have never sure if you've experienced that, well, I just want you to raise your hand because we want to pray for you. We want to make sure you get to experience it. Anybody here? All right. God bless you. Anybody else? We want to make sure you experience it. I want you to Say this prayer with me. Father, in the name of Jesus, I believe that you came to die for me. And Jesus, I thank you for giving yourself as my ransom on the cross. I receive that forgiveness. I receive that salvation. I receive a clean heart. I ask you to come in my life, and I choose to follow you from this point on. Amen. If you pray that, you, you want to make sure you talk to someone, you want to make sure you continue to follow Jesus, because you see, as Paul said, his mission wasn't just to bring them to Christ, but present them fully mature. So you may not be called to a mission field. You may not be called to full-time ministry, but you're called to pray. And you could do so much in prayer. And you're called to find your assignment, which is within the body of Christ. And you can never find it outside of the body of Christ. So we need to be in church. We need each other. The pandemic separated us for a while, but we need to be in church. We need to bring other people to church. We need to see this place so full that soon we'll have to start a second service or have a third service because people are coming to Christ. We need to be willing to do our part, to sacrifice. Paul was in prison. 
what's the big deal if we have to get up a little earlier to come to, to serve, to come to help to set something up, to come to help and teach kids to prepare? It's nothing. Everybody should be finding a place to serve God within the body of Christ. Find your place to volunteer. And thank God that you're not in prison. And every time you want to complain about what you're doing, thank God that you're not in prison. And thank God that Paul didn't care that he was in prison. But he ended that chapter saying, remember my chains. He also ended it giving a lot of greetings because being a part of the church is being connected in very intimate ways to others. We don't just come Sunday and go home, but we need connection. We need small groups. We need to know. He knew everybody. He gave greetings to everybody. And I, I wrote out my own little thing that I can't share in, in, in all words, like say hi to the, to the house group in Maritza's house. And, and um, tell Robert, uh, or I'm sending Robert back to you. And, and in fact, I'm sending someone you don't know, Pastor Mike. Uh, welcome him, because I'm sending him. And I'm going to give you some more information about what's going on through Pastor Tom and Regina. You say, I just put my own names in there to make it real. We are together. We get to know each other. We get to work together. We don't break apart because of offense because there's something greater than ourselves at risk. And it's the work and the gospel of Jesus Christ and the message going out. God needs each and every one of you. So I want to encourage you as we close to pick a prayer shift. It's, and you'll get the prayer, you, you, you'll get the call number. It's the prayer call number. You get in during that shift. There'll be somebody here during the day tomorrow and Tuesday, so you can always come out here to pray. Tuesday night, we're all gathering back here. Please be here. Please be here and pray with us. Uh, let's worship now before we close. Amen. We pray that you were blessed by this word. For more information about our church, please visit our website at resurrectionchurchofny.com or give us a call at 718-436-0242 and be sure to follow us on Instagram at reschurchnyc. Take care and God bless.